I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFF. not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. And we're going to recap a little Monday Night Football, Rams Cardinals. But I think most importantly here, Sam, it's victory lap time. We are the PFF trivia champions. Mm-hmm. Or should we not ruin it for, uh, you know, for those who didn't see the video yet? It's a little late now. Okay, we gave it away. Yeah. PFF champs. Uh-huh. They didn't give us our own belt, so I stole the, uh, the PFF MVP belt. Yep. So we're going to hold on to this maybe forever Yeah. until, until we uh, lose it. I'm ready to defend our title. Yeah, well, unfortunately, that, that's going to happen against Eric, who has one of those freakish encyclopedic knowledges of all football things that ever happened. Yeah, even like before, like he, he's like an expert in the USFL, which was, you know, before he was born. He's like, he is like the, the cliche nerd, you know, the guy that just memorizes all the facts ever. It's like, oh, remember that game back in 1994 where, you know, no, no, of course I don't remember that thing in night, like, but he does. Well, we'll see, because if you didn't see it on the YouTube channel, we had a great game. PFF NFL podcast against PFF Tailgate, and uh, they they spoke a big game. They did. Until the game started. (laughs) Right at the start, they were busy telling us how they had like $1,000 worth of uh, victory vouchers saved up from... You know, all of these trivia championships that they won in whatever place that is that they do this, which we should go to, by the way. It seems like it's quite easy. Yeah, I know. Might want to pick up some vouchers ourselves. Yeah, and then they got, you know, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but they got their ass whooped. They did. They really did. You did well, by the way. You, Thank you. You had a lot of, you had some good ones. I appreciate it. Also got a little lucky. You know, the, the luck of the draw actually brought me to the 90s Jaguars. It's true. Which is ridiculous. Um, and then we all picked our own specialty. And uh, clearly, my specialty was pretty special. I nailed it. So uh, no, it was a good. It was a good fun game. We'll uh, we'll do more of that. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, go check it out. It's on the YouTube channel. I'm just gonna wear this belt around my shoulder for the rest of the show here. Okay. In celebration. Should have worn the uh, the Macho Man get up as well. Oh, I know. I wasn't even thinking. <laughs> I wasn't thinking at all. Bring that. We'll bring that back maybe tomorrow. Um, anyway, we've got. Uh, we'll talk Rams Cardinals, right? We've got some emails. And uh, what else are we chatting about today? What else do we have? Some other stuff. Don't worry about it. I'm prepared. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm very well prepared. Let's talk Rams Cardinals. Uh, the sixth game of the weekend of Super Wild Card Weekend was another Super. disappointment as far as entertainment value. Not if you're a Rams fan. Unless you're a yeah. Rams fan, it was beautiful. Uh, but storylines coming out of this, the big one was like, "Hey, Matthew Stafford's never won a playoff game. Rams went all in, and you know Stafford's their guy. What's he going to do? He was great in this game, but only had to drop back about 20 times because the run game was really good. Cam Akers is five and a half months removed from what an Achilles or an ACL Achilles Achilles because I, I saw somebody put ACL and I was like that's not right it's an Achilles yeah um, we'll talk about that I mean it was 
just a beat down left and right. Um, credit the Rams, but also the Cardinals just looked like, man, the bright lights were too bright for them. Yeah, like a lot of when you have games that are so uh, lopsided like that, that's the first part of the evaluation, right? Is how much of this was the winning team being really good and how much was the losing team being terrible? Um, and that, that I think is in this game. So New England versus Buffalo. I think that was far more about Buffalo being incredibly good than it was New England being terrible. Uh, this game, I don't want to say it was, I think it was more about the Cardinals really not showing up for this game. The Rams absolutely took advantage of that and kind of stepped on the gas, poured gas on that fire and just took, like, absolutely wrecked them. But the Arizona team that was good earlier in the season wasn't there in this game. And that wasn't just this game. For most of this, the, the tail end of the season, they hadn't shown up. And I was texting this to you last night. Like, if you just looked at their records over the last few years, you'd be like, no, this team's like really headed in the right direction. They, they were like a three win team um, before Cliff took over. Then it was what, five something, five, 10 and one, uh, eight and eight, and then 11 and six or whatever it is this year. Um, like, that, that looks like a perfect trajectory, right? The, the arrow is pointing up. But each one of those seasons, the last two have started really good, exceeded expectations, and then kind of crashed down to earth to end the year with this disappointing note to the point where now people are like, you know, does Steve Kime get fired? Is this the end? Like, you know what I mean? People are talking about guys losing their jobs. But if you just looked at it in, in the sort of high level, big picture, what happened year on year, it's actually been solid progress. Would you look at it like that? Because I, I think totally. I, I think it's fair to actually say they've progressed. Yes, they've gotten better despite how it's happened. Which with back to back, call them second half collapses the last two seasons. What? No, I mean they have been collapses, but I I agree. I think. But it's fair to say they've gotten better every year. So it's not yeah. like the sky's falling in Arizona. Right. That's the thing. Like, everybody wants to just look at the way the season ended. And to, to a degree, the better you get, the more important that becomes because your end of a season involves another season. You know what I mean? If you're good, you get to the postseason, and then you need to keep being good. Otherwise, you're one and done every year, and that is a problem. Um, but this was their first time in the postseason. I think it's it would be too early to go – Right, this isn't working. Blow it up, pull the plug, everybody out. Like, let's start over. They're still getting better, but obviously they didn't. The, the fact that they are tailing off towards the end of these seasons is a problem. And if they don't figure that out, it will it will continue being a problem, and it will be a thing that you need to address uh, down the line. Yeah, Kyler um, in particular, he, he has the. He saved a safety. <laughs> They're down fourteen. Saved a safety. That's, saved a safety. That's a way of putting that. In exchange for a pick six. Yeah. The, uh, the analytics say two is less than seven, so take the safety. But that was, um, there were just moments where Kyler was, on that play, he was too slow going through his reads, took the sack that he shouldn't have, tried to throw it away, just throws a, a gimme pick six, which, by the way, has now happened three times in the NFL this year, where a guy is getting tackled in the end zone and then throws a gimme pick six, unless I'm missing one, but Stafford had the one in primetime as well. Carson Wentz had the one that pretty much blew the game against the Titans. Amazing that those have happened as often as they have this year. And then comes back with a screen pass that's like slightly off, but just too quick, like timing. Everything just looked off, I thought, for, Ty for Kyler in that game from a Cardinal standpoint. But I also want to credit the Rams too. You don't take too much away 
from the right. uh, from the Rams here. But um, I, I do think from a Cardinal standpoint, you can take a step back and say progress has been made. Stay the course. Next year, I think is the pivotal year. Get over the hump. Get into the playoffs. Win some games. Maybe they overachieved a little bit this year, to be honest. But I do think they have gotten better. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know that they've overachieved. I think this was. Again, it's exactly the same as last year. Whereas if you just looked at last year at the end and went eight and eight, that's kind of where that team was supposed to get to, right? They were a five win team the year before. They went to eight and eight. That's a step in the right direction. And that's probably what you would expect for a new head coach, a new quarterback, the the new sort of regime getting their feet wet. But it ended so miserably last year that you're like, nobody felt good about it, right? And this is the same from eight and eight to 11. To, to 11 wins, making the playoffs, um, you know, being in contention for the division title for the entire way, that that is progress. That is a good thing. That is a step in the right direction. It's where you would have expected them to get to. But because it ended the way it did, again, nobody feels good about it. So if they sort of go back, you know, the season's over, you have that kind of moment of self-scouting and self-reflection, and you work out what was this season. Bigger, Big picture, this season was still a success for them. It took them in the right direction, but it's about where you would expect them to go. Now, the problem is, now you've got 11 wins, the next step is, well, now we have to be a Super Bowl contender, which means not only do you need to go from 11 wins to like 13 wins or whatever, but you also need to figure out why you're collapsing down the stretch and stop that happening because we expect you to be in the postseason next year. We expect you to continue to be in the postseason next year, which means you can't just like, you can't limp in and be playing badly when you do because the first team you run up against is going to send you home, and that's pointless. I don't, it's not as simple as they just missed DeAndre Hopkins that much, right? Cause no, because they won. They were two and one without DeAndre. And I know, Kyler. but like the description earlier in the season is like, oh man, look at this with with Nuke not even being a centerpiece of this offense. They found all these other playmakers. They look more creative, but it just it seems stale, and uh, you just didn't have a go-to guy down the stretch. Now, uh, before we get into the Rams and give them proper credit, listen up. So, would you want twenty five hundred dollars? Sure, on, uh, I would on that that Sunday with the biggest game of the year. You get a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking us questions, and would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? Put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Mm. How about a need to know on your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboard. So here's what you got to do. You submit a question. Every every submission gives you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday and will cover your catering up to $2,500. Coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. Don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. So you submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash feast. One more time, it's westernsouthern.com slash feast. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. I want to give the Rams credit, too. Biggest thing, right? Their stars looked like stars. Uh, to me, all of the players that they just invested in this year, OBJ in the red zone, killer fade route, which was good against a Marco Wilson matchup, touchdown. Vaughn Miller gets a sack and looks great coming off the edge. Of course, uh, forget Aaron Donald for a minute. He's Aaron Donald, but Matthew Stafford, right? The guys that they invested in, to make this run. Stafford had one of his best games of the year. Again, he wasn't asked to do a whole lot, 
but he made all the throws that he needed to do and uh, needed to make. And then the stars that were there, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, they've got the ingredients. I think the Rams will talk about, we'll preview all the games tomorrow. The Rams have the pieces to beat the Bucks again for the second time this year. We'll see if they, if they can upset the Packers potentially in Lambeau. Or, I think either way, the Rams have a tough matchup. If they get by the Bucks, they either have to go to Lambeau to face the Packers or they get a home game against the Niners against their nemesis, Kyle Shanahan, 0-6 six, oh six against the 49ers uh, in their last six matchups. So am I overreacting? Because I think the Rams looked fantastic overall. No, they did. They looked great. I mean, we knew that the Rams are capable of beating anybody. We've seen that this year. Like, their, their high end is as good as anybody in the NFL, and nobody's ever questioned that. Like, this whole thing has the potential to be an incredible team. The issue is... Are you going to be able to sustain that for all the games you need to make that happen? So what happens and when you don't what happens when you don't get your best play is the Rams bigger problem. So we've seen when Stafford doesn't have one of those clean games and just starts pitching the ball to the defense, that's an awful lot to try and overcome. And they have either lost or struggled to get past teams that shouldn't be in their realm of play. And that kind of comes down to the mistakes they made. But yeah, like for a team, Hurdle one cleared, right? The Arizona Cardinals showed up. That was a tough team for a lot of this season. They didn't play well. Didn't play well. The Rams absolutely played well. The strategy that they are executing worked. But it's one game of four, right? You're going to have to do it another few times for it to be a success. Like, that's the, that's the problem with the standards the Rams have set themselves, is that winning a game, it's fine, but, like, that's just step one you now need two three and four then we can call this strategy a success because this was a uh, plan designed around winning a super bowl and pretty much anything less than that is not going to be deemed a successful season uh, normally historically in the nfl right you've got the two teams with a bye and we all see wild card weekend and i think through the years we've overreacted to wild card weekend right because the, the usually the four best teams are sitting at home and you see the wild card teams go out and sometimes there are mismatches and they look great and you're like oh wow they're gonna go pull an upset next week and then you realize oh they're playing a much better team they're not as good it's a little different now because the two seeds are playing but coming out of this wild card weekend i mean the bills and the rams probably the most impressive teams right like but it, it kind of backs up what we've seen throughout the year, which you're saying, right? The high end is there. If the Rams play like this or if the Bills play like this every single week, I don't know if they're going to be stopped. I'm overreacting. I'm, I'm, I'm going to overreact to wildcard weekend. Say the Rams have the ingredients to make the, this Super Bowl play. The Bills have the ingredients to make the Super Bowl play. Uh, and for all the fun that we are going to have soon, because it's the offseason, we get to talk draft and team building and free agency. We spent so much time last year talking about the moves the Rams made, then in season talking about the moves the Rams made, and we're in real time right now seeing it play out. And I would say for the first week of the playoffs, the Stafford move looks good. And, you know, to, to just compare the feeling if you're a Rams fan this year versus last year, you had an injured Jared Goff, but still a healthy Jared Goff going to Tampa Bay or an, or or a healthy Jared Goff going to Lambeau in the playoffs versus a Stafford. It, it doesn't mean it's going to work out necessarily, but you just feel so much better about what the Rams are capable of. Yeah, if they have to make a big comeback, if they have to put a ton of points on the board, if they have to win through the passing game, you just feel so much better there. Yeah. And all that 
And they added Cam Akers this week, who looks incredibly explosive and took an Achilles injury, which used to be like a year, Sam, right? You're a doctor or related to doctors. It used to be a year. And then even after that year, it's like, I don't know if this person's ever going to be the same again. And right. Cam Akers looks explosive right now. Yeah, coming back within within the same season from an Achilles injury is insane. Doing it with as a running back where you require that explosiveness and the burst and all those kinds of things, particularly his style of running back, is it's wild. Like, I don't I, I can't think of a guy having done that before. Um, so for him to actually be a real factor is pretty amazing. Now, no, it was only one game. And look, Arizona's run defense was horrendous in that game. Um, and he, yeah. he didn't look as good the week before. But that's potentially a huge boost for them. Um, and yeah, look, Stafford, whatever about how much better Stafford has been than Goff overall, you know, just on a sort of general big picture point of view, he's way more capable of the big plays. He's way more capable of executing a comeback if that's what needs to happen he's got i think the second highest now pff grade in the fourth quarter this season when you do need the, the game he's he's going to be a good player for you and that's important more in the playoffs than it is in the regular season the key is can they get him to avoid the mistakes like his turnover worthy play rate this year is higher than his detroit baseline he's had multiple games this season where he's like He's just been pitching the ball to the defense. If he doesn't do that, the Rams are going to be very, very hard to beat because you've got one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, pass blocking. You've got Cooper Cup. Odell Beckham is already paying dividends. What we said at the time they made that move is starting to happen. You know, he hasn't, he isn't Robert Woods, but he's picking up a lot of the slack that they lost with Robert Woods going down through injury. He is able to be isolated and still win one-on-one. -on -one. He needs one more touchdown to have as many touchdowns he had his entire Browns career, like two and a half years worth. He's already got six. He had seven for the Browns. Um, so that's working. Their defense, like it's an interesting group, but when you have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, you have guys that can cause problems for anybody you're facing. So yeah, the Rams absolutely have the ability to go on this run and make a Super Bowl, but it really does come down to you know, is Stafford going to be able to get out, get out of his own way for long enough to enable that to happen? Yeah, in this week's matchup against the Bucs, you've got uh, a banged-up offensive line, almost certainly, if, whether Tristan Wirfs plays or not, um, and Ryan Jensen at center, a banged-up offensive line where Vaughn Miller, Leonard Floyd, and, of course, Aaron Donald can wreak havoc. And then when they play Green Bay, I know the Packers pretty much handled the Rams, but they were getting some pressure on Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers had to make a ton of plays under heat back you know when they played earlier in the season and if that if they get that pressure again i don't know they might be able to pull that upset too against the packers you mentioned the jared goff difference matthew stafford with 37 big time throws this year including the playoff game goff over the last two years including the playoffs has 43 so two-year sample of goff with the rams 43 to stafford's 37 not and, and the big difference was really last year Goff just was not making those throws down the field now you could argue Goff in 2017 and 18 was really good and the Rams had him and all that stuff but Goff was trending in the right wrong direction Stafford has elevated that offense um, and again at pretty much the same exact level that we expected uh, Stafford with an 83 PFF grade now that's right there his career high was 82.6 yep coming into the year but clearly the uh, the production is much higher uh where you want to go now you got 
you got uh, emails to go through? Yeah, so, you-, you know, people always encouraging people to send us emails, nflpodcast at pff.com. We need uh, a new charity. We need a new entity to donate money to. We also need a new idea for what the whole sort of theme, forfeit, all those kinds of things, challenge, whatever you want to call it, the, whatever we're going to be doing for the charity. Um, so I'm not saying this one we're going to do, but I just, I like this email. So I thought I'd, I like the way, I like where his mind is at. All right. So let's, let's read out it. what this one is. Uh, good day, sirs. Given the recent comments regarding the holiday road trip, you know, you driving your family 13 hours across the country and back, it seems a little obvious to me that this could be adapted into a punishment for a charity drive. Since involving children in a multi-hour car ride that may cross state lines seems like it would raise at least some red flags, perhaps other passengers. Uh, In a perfect world, I would suggest vocal opponents of analytics, holders of questionable football opinions, e.g. Dano, uh, or that he put that, not me. Yeah. For it's once, the, I'm not the one not. slandering Dano. For once. Uh, or targets of PFF criticism, e.g. Joe Flacco. Since this isn't an ideal world, maybe just other PFFers talking about things and annoy Sam. Uh, also, you could perhaps take micro donations for specific things. Maybe get like $100 to make Sam have to listen to an entire album or podcast. This is a very me focus. Uh, or have to listen to an old baseball game. God, that would suck. That'd be great. Additionally... Uh, if y'all have a decent uh, mobile recording setup, you could turn a bunch of it into content. Keep up the good work. Uh, Rick Zappelli. What would be the best baseball game to make Sam watch? Something oh from the 70s or 80s, probably. Great, yeah. Games were faster back then. You need a nice slow-paced yeah. current game. We just get in the car, drive to like Cleveland and back, and I have to listen to some god-awful baseball game. Be great. I mean, baseball's good on the radio. How can that possibly be true? It's just a... It's boring in person. How can it be better better on the radio? That's part of the reason why I think baseball baseball has a challenge getting, uh, you know... Because it only functions when you can't see the game? No, it's just... It's a 162-game schedule. It's okay if you don't see every game. You catch some on the radio. It's just this... It's a marathon, not a sprint, you you see. (laughs) And, uh, like, I grew up listening to a bunch of games on the radio. Yeah. You know, helps you picture things the imagination will it will make you listen to like bobby thompson's uh you don't you, walk off home run 1951 you don't see a problem with a game that's better when you can't see it i didn't say it's better i said it's it's not bad it's not bad anyway yeah that's interesting i like the i like the idea of like itemized itemized little uh yeah like a checklist and yeah. just rattle them off it's like the the it's like a um like a wedding registry you know like here's all the crap we we want right and there's a very some you come in pick off where you want to so donate we can give we can give our listeners a menu yeah yeah to donate and to. here's all the stuff we will be willing to do during so, this car ride just th- donate for whatever you want so we could do the car the car ride should be training camp tour yeah or something we could not that we're going around the the whole country no but like there's enough local but, you know, that we can get a pretty good trip out of it yeah, so we could do that, take some car rides. Micro donations. Micro donations. This is where, because I'm not in on this um, hot pepper deal that you've been trying to push, <laughs> but this would be a great menu option, right? You've got 10 different levels of hot, you know, $10,000 for the, yeah. for the they killer pepper. They did that on, um, on a recent episode. You ever see Top Gear? I have not. It's a British. It started off as a car show, but it's become more just like general general tomfoolery uh, involving cars, Mm. or at least tangentially connected to cars. One of the things they did this time 
was they had they had a set of peppers, right? Like four of them and very again, ascending in heat. And the idea was you had to go you had to drive the car around this sort of lap of a track. And every time you made it through a lap, you had to eat the next pepper up and keep driving. And then like, you know, basically how far around, how many laps you could get determined the winner. So if you could make it all the way to the ghost or the whatever, the Carolina Reaper or whatever the hot the hottest one was, that would be like five laps in and you would win. We could do that, except probably not on public roads. Yeah, probably we, not. We would die. Or in the minivan. The minivan. <laughs> well, the minivan would probably be safer because you'd be traveling slower. True. Yeah, so I like that as an idea. Maybe we uh, set up a summer summer training camp trip or something where we could yeah. do some of this stuff. We could do that. That's great. Uh, let's tell you about our friends over at DraftKings. Got another great deal for you this week. It's the, the, the divisional round of the NFL playoffs and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. They're celebrating with a huge odds boost for new customers. You count down, as we count down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you can still get in on the action during the divisional round. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings daily fantasy football contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. It's promo code PFF for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well done. What else you got? You got more emails here? Yeah, you want another one? This was an interesting one that came in a while ago, actually, and I kind of bookmarked it for future discussion. Um, been edited slightly for, for brevity, because, you know, we don't have all day here. Great. Uh, greetings and salutations. So not that much, but, you know, a bit. I'm a Seahawks fan, which has been frustrating this year. Uh, with DK in line for a monster extension, I'd guess in the neighborhood of four years, $100 million, this has me pondering a team-building strategy I haven't heard mentioned, which is to cycle through wide receivers. He put in parentheses and possibly pass rushers too. We've kind of talked about that with the Ravens, you know, back in the day, on rookie deals. The idea of cycling through quarterbacks on rookie contracts has been tossed around, but nobody's doing that for obvious reasons. Yet I've never heard it suggested with other positions. It seems that a team like Seattle, who's already paying their quarterback roughly the GDP of a small nation needs to find high-value players for cheap, which is where rookie contracts come into play. Rookie contracts aren't just for high-value quarterbacks, given how much wide receivers and pass rushers are getting paid on second deals and how quickly they're translating to where a 1,000-yard uh, rookie receivers isn't uncommon anymore. It seems to me that a great way to get high-value around an expensive quarterback would be to draft wide receivers and pass rushers, develop them for three, four years, and then trade them for multiple picks. Uh, for Seattle... I'm suggesting that instead of paying DK Metcalf a boatload of money, trade him for a Stephon Diggs or equivalent type of deal and use that money to shore up the roster as a whole and draft another receiver in the top two rounds to pair with Tyler Lockett, along with using draft picks to strengthen the roster. And while I doubt they could replace DK's production and the passing game might take a bit of a hit, the team as a whole would improve, making them better. Uh, Jonathan Gardner, that one's from. Yeah, so the, the basic premise is cycle through receivers and pass rushers don't pay them second contracts. well forget the pass rushers thing because we've, we've kind of covered that before with the ravens I'm, I'm interested though in this idea of should teams start looking like the last few years in particular 
it's just been rookie wide receivers coming to the NFL, dominating from day one, looking amazing. All So many of them are good. The strike rate on receivers right now seems extremely high, particularly early. Not perfect. You know, you can miss, but very high. Um, when you miss, though, you miss hard, man. Sure. But, like, it's easy to see, you know? So why not why not start trying to take advantage of those guys as a really cheap way of shaving money off the roster and, and as, if you have a quarterback you're paying a lot of money to because usually it's the other way around right like you have a rookie a quarterback on a rookie deal who's saving you a ton of money so we throw all that money at receivers and give that guy some really great help and that's how we maximize this well if you're already paying the quarterback a ton of money we need to start thinking about it in reverse. So if I have a Kirk Cousins or a Derek Carr and you re-up him for this next contract or whoever the, the guy is and he's not Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, how do we start shaving some of this cash? Let's start cycling through receivers. Yeah, we, like the Vikings at the time, we were like, you don't want to trade away a receiver and try and replace him with, this, with the first round pick you got for him be, and just because you get cheaper because it's so hard to do that. Maybe it isn't as hard as we thought it was. And actually replacing a Stephon Diggs with a Justin Jefferson is easier than you think. Because part of the... Like, Counterpoint, Jalen Rager. Right. Nikhil Harry. Yeah, you can miss, but look at the number of guys that are really good all, like already immediately from those last two draft classes. So the, the, the concept I don't hate, I do think... I think it's easier to justify a DK salary. Like if he makes a ton of money, it'll be easy enough to justify his salary versus, say, a pass rusher again, who we've discussed the idea of cycling through. And part of the benefit of this is either trading or picking up the comp pick, which is a third rounder. You're better off, obviously, trading a year early. My, my concern, and I'll mention this a million times when we talk about where is uh, Russ going this offseason, is Russ ever going to find it better than having DK and Tyler Lockett as a starting point? The second thing is who's the next guy for Seattle it is if you could mitigate the risk by just continually drafting maybe second and third round wide, wide, wide receivers where that's where you found Debo Samuel that's where you found DK that's where you found AJ Brown all in the second round you found Cooper Cup in the third round right if you continue to do that then you can have some leverage like if Seattle had another guy like I don't think D Estrich is that guy just yet but if you thought he was and it's like all right we could have D and Tyler Lockett and trade Metcalf and pick up two or three draft picks for him. Maybe, maybe that makes some sense. I would be really scared of replacing that known commodity. And I would say using the Vikings example of essentially flipping Stephon Diggs for rookie contract Justin Jefferson is an anomaly. I mean, that was sure incredibly done. On the other hand, even just just from that one draft class, right? Just this year. Justin Jefferson had 1,600 yards and 10 touchdowns, right? That's pretty incredible. Um, but just from that one draft class, you also have 1,000-yard receivers in Darnell Mooney, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Pittman Jr., T. Higgins, Chase Claypool got to 860, and you have been preaching all season long or just throw that dude the ball like Ben Roethlisberger is clearly holding him back. Yeah. Um, like, it... it the strike rate is pretty high. Brandon Ayuk got to 816 and was in the doghouse for like the first month of the season, barely being featured. He goes out there against Dallas in the playoffs and absolutely blowtorches Trayvon Diggs. Like, it doesn't appear that hard to find high-end receivers. So here's the other point, too. Let's compare it to pass rushers. We, I agree you can't have too many pass rushers, right? I mean, it, it's, it's a nice thing to have. And I think, 
Um, seeing a lot of the teams this weekend, you'll see the Bucks rotate seven, eight defensive linemen. You'll see the Bills rotate a bunch of defensive linemen. You need a lot of those guys. But I think the value of having, say, a DK Metcalf and a Tyler Lockett plus the, the, that other guy that you're talking about drafting is just immense. Whereas like with an edge rusher, I think if you have too many, maybe you leverage that into trades and more picks and elsewhere. Man, the idea of... So I would, I would do this, but I would do it a couple of years early, right? It's okay if you do it a couple of years early. If, you, if the Seahawks had continued to groom these receivers, and then when it's time to pay DK Metcalf, you flip him and you've got a, a fallback option, kind of like what the Falcons did, except now they're losing all of their receivers. But at one point it was Julio and Calvin Ridley, and then you had a Kyle Pitts. Like you could afford to trade a Julio because you're replacing him with a Pitts, right? Um, once you... Ha have that established I think it's easier to move on from these receivers but I'm also intrigued by say like what Dallas did this year with having the three good ones CD Lamb Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup when he's healthy but you could maybe look back and say hey they should have traded Gallup a year early before he hits free agency I'm I'm back and forth on it I don't hate it but I'm so intrigued by the idea of having three stars at receiver because that payoff is just incredible I think we're reaching a point where there's a few positions for different reasons that I'm not sure you want to be giving the monster contract to. Like, obviously, running backs is the obvious one, right? Like, generally speaking, you don't want to give a running back a second contract. Um, if you're giving him the second contract, it wants to look like the Austin Eckler second contract, where it's relatively cheap, it's based off his ability in the past game, and everybody's happy. But you don't want to hand that guy like a monster market resetting contract because it's almost never worth it. Um, I think you can start making that argument for wide receivers like it's getting this assumes the sort of trend of college to the nfl production line continues which i think it probably will like the college game isn't getting any less pass happy as the years go by so as long as you're going to get this volume of talent coming into the league year on year on year i don't know that you want to be giving those guys like the giant hundred and whatever million dollar contract versus all right let's if that guy as soon as that guy starts angling for the money either trade him let him walk in free agency and plow that resource back into a first round rookie just looking at over the cap and the top the highly the, the highest paid receivers if your point is hey once these guys hit years four five six seven eight whatever they're going to become more injury prone late 20s early 30s maybe there's a there's a point there i mean of these highest paid guys DeAndre Hopkins, hurt. Julio Jones was hurt this entire season. You got Keenan Allen's number three. Amari Cooper. Michael Thomas is number five. He's missed the entire season. Tyree Kill's generally been healthy, but he's been, you know, he's had those little nicks or whatever. Kenny Galladay, hurt much of the season. Go down a little bit further. You get Robert Woods. A little bit further, you get Adam Thielen. And a little bit further, you get Chris Godwin. A lot of guys have, uh, Cortland Sutton, he missed a couple. Are they more injury prone as they get a little bit saying, older? Like, and then there's some of the risk there. I'm not even saying that, but like how how high in that average, or you're looking at average per year yes. payment. How high is Keenan Allen in that? Keenan's third, over 20 million per year. All right. So Keenan Allen is third in average per year. How many of the receivers drafted in the last three years would you take over Keenan Allen? Just straight up, like forget contract, forget anything. Just which ones would you prefer? than Keenan Allen. A bunch now. Right. And Keenan Allen's really good. I love Keenan That's Allen. That's what I'm saying. So rather than pay Keenan Allen a giant boatload of money and make him the third best paid receiver in the NFL, are you not better off saying, you know what? 
good as you are, great as you are, we like our chances of being able to replace that in the draft. It's getting easier now. So the position at wide receiver, it's not that the position is becoming devalued, but the supply is getting out of control. So the, the, the like contract is becoming devalued. I think to answer this question properly, I need more time to research, but I, I think we would have to say, where are you deploying those resources now? So if you had $20 million to spend per season as the Chargers, and presumably you just you spend a first rounder, second rounder, whatever on a receiver, you feel good that they're going to replace Keenan Allen, where does that money go in? You know, what's the what, what, there has to be a position where the free agent investment is better, right? Is it the secondary? Is it offensive line? You know, where would you then deploy, deploy those resources? Because again, I'm intrigued by Keenan Allen plus, right? I'm, yeah. in, I'm intrigued by Keenan Allen plus the receiver that you would draft from the surplus right. and it, attack in the field with three great playmakers instead of just But it two. feels like in, in abstract terms, it doesn't really matter, right? It's like the, it's like the Khalil Mack trade. What you get, obviously, is that it determines whether or not you really won that trade. But the theory is the picks make it a win. Yeah. Like, this is the same thing, right? The theory being the money you save from not investing in Keenan Allen is the win. Clearly, you have to spend that money correctly for it to really manifest itself as a positive thing. If you go and dump, you know, $20 million into Pat Elfline every year, it's it's clearly a waste of everybody's time right and you didn't win in fact you got worse but let's assume that most teams aren't going to do that or point to the fact that that would be the mistake not the not paying keenan allen part i'm i'm just i'm convinced by the argument having seen the production line of college wide receivers hitting the nfl that I'm not sure you want to be investing massive money into those guys anymore. The one other risky part, do you think we're seeing more receivers come in because it's, it's a hotter position? Uh, recruits who, you know, because you get a lot of recruits who could play corner, play, could play receiver. They choose to play, do that. Are they choosing to play receiver? Is, the, is college actually better at developing them? Because I remember a few years ago, the draft that had Calvin Ridley, Michael Gallup, uh, I forget, uh, maybe Cortland Sutton was in there, but there's a few others where we were like, man, I don't think there's like this true number one and all that stuff. But uh, it, it seemed like the NFL uh, college had hit a lull in developing receivers. The very next year, the opposite happened, right? Like since that point, 17, 18, whatever that year is, um, or maybe 19, all of a sudden, like, it's okay, it's easy to add receivers to the NFL. So is this, is this, is this natural ebbs and flows, or is it the the way college is just played right now, developing more receivers. But also that year you're talking about, like that's DJ Moore, Cortland Sutton, Cedric Wilson. Like there were some really, Michael Gallup, there were some good receivers. Sorry, that was out. 18, right? That was 18. Yeah, and we and I just I just remember we had trouble saying who's wide receiver right. one in this class. No, no, it was a it was a relatively, you know, weak year in terms, like compared with what followed it. But you still got a bunch of really good receivers from that class. Like that's kind of my point is that, it, it doesn't appear to be a massive problem anymore to just stock wide receivers from yeah. the draft. And bottom line, my point is, at almost every other position you're drafting, you're trying to draft like a starter who's the best starter on your team. So if you're trying to draft a first round tackle, you would generally expect him to be the best tackle on your team or the best edge defender or the best corner, or whatever it is. Receiver is the place where I think having by drafting a wide receiver two or a wide receiver three 
has immense value. Whereas if you got the second or third best player at a different position on your team, high in the draft, it's like, ah, oh, you know, did you really maximize that pick? So volume at receiver is so crucial that maybe paying a guy plus drafting is also the way to go. The other element here is that you're essentially only deploying this strategy when you have a quarterback that's already chewing up a big amount of your salary cap, right? Yeah. So in theory, that guy's pretty good. So so he can elevate yes. those people around him anyway. And not even so much elevate those people as you're not there – there are, there are young, court, or young wide receivers that have come into the league in the last couple of years that don't look particularly good in part because they've been drafted by teams that don't have a quarterback. So Devontae Smith this year is a good example, right? I mean, I had a discussion with Brad Spielberger on Twitter. It's like, at some point, isn't the fact that Devontae Smith isn't getting those targets, doesn't that reflect badly on him, you know? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't a true superstar just be demanding the ball more? Shouldn't it be coming his way more often because he's that good? And you're like, well... In theory, but like if you watch the tape, it's not his fault. Like Devontae is getting open all the freaking time, and Jalen Hurts is just not going there with the football. And at some point, like it, it isn't Devontae's fault. It's like he just doesn't have a quarterback that's capable of playing at that level right now. So if you took Devontae Smith right now and put him somewhere with a Kirk Cousins level of quarterback, you know, Derek, like gave him to the Raiders, said, right, Derek Carr is your quarterback. You're going to play there. How much better does he look this year? Probably quite a lot. I, I, here's another angle to this that that's similar but also different at the same time. So you're saying it might be easier to develop receivers out of college, get them cheaper. What about the fact that now that we've had this saturation of receivers, the guys that you just mentioned, right, uh, the DJ Moores of the world who are on the cheap right now, there's a lot of receivers. Cortland Sutton's just gotten paid. There's a lot of receivers who are going to get paid. Right, and then say Tyler Boyd. How how, how are the Bengals going to hold on to Tyler Boyd? At some point, they won't be able to, right? Because T. Higgins and Jamar Chase are their their top guys. If you're a savvy team, are you going to be able to pick up the Tyler Boyds of the world, the Marvin Joneses of the world, the Emmanuel Sanders of the world? I know Emmanuel Sanders getting up to be 35, but Sanders might be like that perfect example. The fast past five or six years, you would be more than happy to have. Emmanuel Sanders on your team for six to eight million dollars a year so maybe using the money on him plus a draft pick gets fulfills my strategy of volume and having three or four receivers who are tough to cover rather than investing in just one so I think the over the saturation of receivers a bunch of them are going to get paid but also the the, the slightly older guys who are still really good are going to get pushed out and be available on the open market so league saturation versus just it's easy to develop them is something to consider yeah i mean i think the bottom line is i i believe there's something to that idea i i don't think that's crazy i think there's there's some kernels of truth in there and a potential edge the teams don't appear to be exploiting yet with the exception of the vikings doing that and i don't know how much of that was just like Diggs wanted out and it wasn't like there was nothing you could do to keep him as opposed to yeah, and you hit strategizing about money and you hit a home run yeah I mean that's a it's a perfect example of getting it right and I don't know that you were strategically doing that as opposed to just kind of your hand was forced and you went with what you had to do it's also so risky the draft is so risky and crazy if the if the Eagles just draft Justin Jefferson which hindsight is 2020. I don't think at the time, there was a lot of people who loved Justin Jefferson, but at the time, there were a lot of people who thought, hey, we should have taken Justin Jefferson. 
but I don't think it was as slam dunk as it seems now. No. If the Eagles had just taken Justin Jefferson, then the Vikings look like, oh, man, you just traded Diggs and never replaced him. Yeah. Unless, but they, I mean, unless they got him with uh, <coughs> whoever else, Brandon Ayuk or something. The one thing I would say about receivers is that I think those guys, it's very quick that you know if you got it right or not. Like yeah. it's, it's very rare that a guy is bad to begin with, and then all of a sudden the – turns it on and it's like oh no look he's he's got it now we're good like if that guy's bad right off the bat he's probably bad and you can move on very quickly in a way that you can't necessarily do with quarterback like if you get a quarterback it's like ah, i mean all right he was really bad year one but who knows right we got to give him year two and see what that looks like and it's dependent on what options you have available to replace him and you know you could you could waste three years having a reasonable giving a quarterback a reasonable chance but the other Whereas the other receiver thing against, you're gonna know year one okay not the guy bye-bye we're gonna draft the next one but the thing about receiver justin jefferson's a great all-around receiver he could do anything there's still value like in in Nikhil harry who has not been worth a first round pick don't tell me there's value in Nikhil harry don't do it if he's your fourth no, or fifth receiver do you it. can find a way to make value Stop to create it. value out of him you can what if is, he's your four or five receiver, whereas, again, like if you're the fourth or fifth tackle, you're never playing. What is the thing he's been best at this year? Well, nothing this year. No, no, no. There is one specific thing he has been. Contested catches? No. Nope. Finally caught? What? Not dropping the ball? No. Down blocking defensive ends oh, on true. outside zone plays, right? True. That is the thing he's bringing you to the table right now. You can run crack toss behind Nikhil Harry. Yes, that's not valuable for a wide receiver. I still think what they should have done, New England, is ha- made him the Gronk replacement. He he's he's tight splits. He's a he's an extension of your tight end. He's gonna he's gonna make your crack blocks on toss plays, but he's gonna work the middle of the field in the seam where he doesn't have to separate. Yeah, right? you should treat him. You should treat him as a move tight end that can't block. But all I'm saying is, receiver is one of those positions where you can craft a role. Right. And with Harry, if he's your four, he could still he's still really good with the ball in his hands. He can catch a screen and get upfield, and he can handle a couple end arounds, and he could probably work the middle of the field like a big tight end. Right. right. So you could find value in that guy. Whereas if you find a tackle who is so bad at pass blocking you can't like just have him run block right or an edge you know it's it's just a different or a corner who can't cover he's just he's not going to play yeah when i say can't block i mean like you don't want him in line but treat him as one of those like dustin keller right a a tight end that you knew at no point could you have like actually blocking people you know he's he's there as a receiver only who's that dustin keller yeah like Nikhil harry should be treated like dustin keller right now Nice. Line him up as essentially a move tight end that has no real in-line blocking responsibility. Nikhil Harry and Mike Gusecki, except Gusecki's a better athlete. Better athlete, catches the ball better, gets open better. Yeah, just better. Same role. Same role, though, they could play. All I'm saying is, like, a failed wide receiver, you could still extract some value out of. The The problem is when you try to extract the value and make him a first-rounder. But my right? point and is— Make him worth a first-rounder. And again, how quickly was it apparent that Nikhil Harry was just never going to be the guy, right? Pretty quick. Immediately. Yeah. It's like, no, we got this one wrong. You And cut bait and move on. You don't need to, like, drag this out for years on years. You just go, we screwed that one up. Next year, we're drafting a receiver again. And they would have been, like, if they'd actually done that, okay, they took a quarterback because they needed one of those. But, like, number 15 in this draft, you could have had a decent receiver. I mean, they receiver. should have just taken Debo Samuel. He was already, they loved him already, and he <laughs> was the perfect fit for that system as it is. Anyway, uh, the receiver the receiver's discussion's a good one. We'll have plenty of those throughout the offseason.
Where else you want to go here? People want to hear your take on the explosion of uh, the proliferation of rugby plays in the NFL. You tweeted about it during the, the Dallas Cowboys. I'm game. excited. I'm excited about it. I've uh, I've seen it. Uh, I'm I'm working on a, a special subscription for uh, NFL teams behind the scenes called PFFIQ. And I'm just curious. I'm on, ready to hire you on your take. What was it? How did they screw that up? That play the, the Cedric Wilson, Cedric Wilson threw it out of bounds, right? But what was the technical? What was the breakdown? Why did it go wrong? It was an inaccurate pass. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he threw the ball inaccurately. <laughs> you, that, that's all you got. Uh, uh, we talked off air, right? About the Jordan Mylata. Yeah. Play? So, um, Eagles, if you guys want to invest in PFFIQ, I will deploy Sam. I will, Sam, and uh, he will be available, his services, to to craft rugby plays. I'm just saying there's a screenplay out there somewhere where, you know, Jordan Mylata kind of pitches the defensive end upfield, you know, the way tackles do on a screen, and then gets out. But instead of getting out in front of the running back, he runs a trail line. So the running back, you know, catches the ball, follows his blockers, the guard in the center are out in front of him, follows them, but then at the last minute, pop pass out the back, and Mylata is coming around the corner. And now he has got a full head of steam heading towards the safety yes. at 375 pounds. You know, choo-choo, we are just running over this guy on our way to the end zone. Yes, And I don't know, look, if people haven't looked at that guy's rugby highlights, just Google them. They're amazing. I wonder if the Eagles have. That guy at like 19 years of age or whatever it was, playing at like, I think, under 21s in the NRL or something, was just a force of nature. Bigger, stronger, faster than everybody else, just running them over, tackling them as well, like burying people. That guy, there's like... There are offensive tackles you probably don't want to be carrying the ball, right? Mylata, Mylata's the guy you want the ball in his hands. To answer your initial question, Cedric Wilson didn't draw the defense in far enough, right? Well, in so, addition. no, I think you were, you were right with your inaccuracy thing. The problem is, so Dallas have run this a few times. Kellen Moore, obviously, is their offensive coordinator. Kellen Moore came from Boise State. Boise State ran a lot of hook and ladder type of things back in the day, they right? Did. So he's clearly pushing this stuff in Dallas. And remember the Jets ran one of these plays with Braxton Berrios a few weeks ago? Yeah. It was actually the exact same play as the one that Cedric Wilson screwed up. <clears throat> but um, what's interesting is, like, Cedric Wilson actually has a really good arm. Like, the dude can throw. So everyone's like, why does Cedric Wilson keep butchering these laterals when if you get him to, like, throw as a quarterback, it's really good? I think the problem is that it's really hard to throw a football on the run, like football style, overarm, right. like a like a quarterback. You'd actually need to be a. That's why, you know, you see those guys practicing on the run. There's a sort of weird technique you have to do to make that happen, which only quarterbacks, I think, have any earthly idea how to achieve. If you're just a guy that can throw a ball, you don't really know how to do that. So when you see trick plays. It's usually a running back or a wide receiver. The receiver either gets set or the running back, you know, they, they either get set or they're sort of traveling slowly enough that the mechanics don't get completely thrown off by it. But if you're like going across the field to your left, running on like a drag route and then trying to throw the ball like a quarterback, it's really hard to do. Whereas rugby, the actual pass technique in rugby has been specifically designed to operate on the run. Like it works that way. It's more accurate that way. It's easier to do that way. I swear to God, if you're going to start running these plays, which the NFL is, 
bring in a dude to teach you how to do it properly. So part of PFFIQ, Sam can come into training camp while we're on our tour, teach you guys some rugby plays, some technique. Is it more difficult to make the unhand, underhand toss with a uh, skinnier NFL football? No, I actually think it's easier. Okay. Like, I have, obviously, both a football and a rugby ball. You can you can spin past either nice humble brag. That I own a ball? Yeah. It's real baller stuff there. The Rock's got like a, you know, the most complete T-Rex skull in the world behind him. I have but two, does The Rock I have, have two a balls. PFF championship belt? He's never won this. I don't believe he has, no. You know who has? Mike hmm. Mountford, Austin Gale, Charles Miller, uh-huh. Ben Stockwell. There you go. And somebody last year who didn't is Trash. <laughs> but who did, right? Trash win it last year? I, I don't who didn't remember. Didn't win. Uh, sure. Didn't get his name on it because... Uh, Somebody got lazy. Get him a Sharpie and go, you can go at it. There's, there's spaces. I'll just draw it right on, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we'll put PFF NFL Podcast. If they're not going to keep adding names. All right, we'll just co-opt it. And we'll for just the, for the forget trivia. MVP. We'll call it Trivia Champs. Perfect. I'll spray paint. Let's spray paint it. <laughs> NWO style. We're going to spray paint this Trivia Champs. Or we'll just put uh, PFF NFL Podcast on mm. That's what but I, I started. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Like I started looking for some of these rugby plays. Because I, I remember like the Dallas one, the Jets one. The somebody else ran one recently. We need a tag. Wait, where's Ben? Ben watches us live. Ben is in charge of data. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually partially in charge of which data points go through. This is part of my behind the scenes role here. Uh-huh. Add it to the board. We need a tick box for rugby play. Yeah, and then Sam can find them, and teams can study. Oh yes, we the best one I've ever seen. Box. The best one I ever I've ever seen is still uh, not this year. Last year, I think the Cardinals ran something. I still don't know if it was intentional, right? But the, the two, the Dallas one and the Jets one, essentially you've got a guy uh, running a drag from the backside, catches the ball, and then pitches it to somebody that was basically just hanging around, right? Far wide receiver. Yeah. What the Cardinals did is a very similar thing, except on the front side of the play, they faked like a wide receiver screen. So the slot guy, you know, stands back from the line, and gets hands up, like immediately faking the quick screen. The far receiver runs, runs, just runs deep, takes a guy out of the picture. But then they, they came backside to hit the drag route, the crosser over the middle. And at that point, everyone has forgotten about the dude that just faked the bubble screen and has ignored him. Mm. So he's now like completely uncovered and is able to sort of act as this trail run to the lateral. So as soon as the drag straightens up, draws some defenders, that guy is now literally clean and un- unblocked. He's now, they've executed a two-on-one without, I think, meaning to. Is, is it, it's still legal to, to tackle low right you just can't take out a lineman who's pulling in space and just yeah. go to his knees right because that would affect things too like if you couldn't tackle you I mean you can but let me go back to the my in space thing that should happen a couple times a year and if you're and also if you're a team that has no no offense to jalen hurts or anything but if you have a jalen hurts level quarterback a guy that you know could use a few free plays you know per game to, to kind of help things out I like the idea of getting the uh, the screen pass with Mylotta in space, get him the ball, and just run through some corners and safeties like, down the field. There's an article I've been meaning to write for like a year. Um, I spoke to it's some, time. Yeah, it's time. I spoke to some like high level rugby people, some coaches, some guys that like work for international teams and stuff about you know with guys that knew enough about football to be able to sort of bridge the gap. And you're like, all right, what would you do? to sort of take advantage of these different rules, right? And they were 
so excited by the possibilities that being able to block on a play opens up. Like, you can still do all the stuff that rugby does to manufacture overlaps and run trail lines and support lines and all that kind of stuff with the addition that you can have people out in front blocking for the damn thing. Like, it opens up legitimate possibilities. And again, a rugby pass, like just a simple sideways rugby pass is a really easy skill to execute if you spend like 10 minutes learning. Is there, what is the turnover risk here? And how... Well, that's the thing. It's not like once you learn how to do that, it isn't high. How much time do you think they need to, you know, because I, I want my receivers just like getting open on an out route. That's a more important skill. How much time do you have to spend on a play you might run a couple times a year? I mean, but it's one of those things where like the initial time investment might take a little bit, but once they've learned it, it's applicable forever right i you could like you can teach an eight-year-old how to pass a rugby ball in like a week and that's that's not like a week of like every day doing it that's a week of like you know a couple of practices you're saying scout could better execute cedric wilson's play yeah daughter given time okay right whereas so training camp just have like a 10 minute period at the end of every training camp where we run basic rugby passing drills and then we're done right by the end of training camp everybody can pass the ball like a normal human being as opposed to the Cedric Wilson heave it out of bounds thing and the second that's the skill that everybody has you open up a whole world of of things that you can do that just nobody's running right now so hit me up PFFIQ We'll yeah. send Sam to training camp, teach you guys all the rugby plays. I know you're listening. I know you're listening to NFL teams. We'll I mean, look, whatever, like, whatever about the rest of the league taking over, we have to get that Mylata play run at some point. Yes, that like, needs to happen. Every And I don't – the Eagles, everybody needs to see that. Ben clearly isn't listening live this week <laughs> because he would have already messaged me, no, we're yeah. not collecting a rugby – we just need a tick box for rugby plays. We also need a 375-pound man running with the ball in the open field. Yes, we need Bailata in space. What else we got? That's it. That's an hour. The show's over. We're done. That's a good wrap. We didn't do any autopsies. No. We're going to save the autopsies for the offseason? More autopsies later? All right. I mean, we already kind of, yeah, we were like, we reviewed the losses that dumped these teams out of the postseason and then a few people have been fired since okay you're right so pff nfl daily we're we're covering this we had a great discussion on Derek carr great discussion for the uh, pff nfl daily today so go listen to that what should the raiders do with Derek carr and uh, i do think there'll be some some teams interested in carr if he ends up hitting the open market um hit us up with more emails because those trigger these beautiful discussions about receivers and rugby and the whole thing and you should i suggest that you drop in the chat right now and say i'm writing that rugby article i think it's time it's hot right now in the nfl or is it like an early offseason thing as teams are self-scouting self-scout not enough rugby plays there's just there's a lot of work involved in it. i need to like actually speak to those people again and like draw up some things and it's just that sounded pretty high love you spoke to a lot of people in the industry and all that stuff you get the uh world cup winners in fact yeah that's impressive yeah proud of you anyway we'll uh we'll get that going get that going anyway thanks to everybody for tuning in we'll be back tomorrow we'll preview the uh how many games are this weekend four right four games down to normal games down to divisional weekend it's only across two days feels like it feels like an off weekend uh we'll preview all the four games and we'll continue to uh discuss some some off-season topics for those teams that are not in the playoffs thanks to everybody for tuning in before you go nfl pod 25 percent off using the promo code nfl pod any subscription at pff.com nfl pod 25 percent off and if you're on youtube give us that Give us that good old thumbs up on the way out. And don't forget to check out the trivia show on the YouTube channel where 
not to give it away, PFF NFL podcast, reign victorious mm-hmm. over tailgate. Your next PFF forecast. You're next. So I'll enjoy this belt for a while until we uh, until Eric wins it. Until we have to defend it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. That's it. We'll see you tomorrow.